Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. I have as my guest here in the studio a person who's a friend of Beeson Divinity School. He's a member of our advisory board. He's also the Francis Marlin Mann Center for Ethics and Leadership Director, a job he has here at Sanford University. One of the most interesting people I know, Drayton Neighbors, Jr., I should say Justice Neighbors, because he served as the Chief Justice of the Alabama Supreme Court. He has a background in law in business, and now in education. Just a fantastic Christian man. Thank you, Drayton, for coming and being with us. Dean, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. Now, I want to begin just by asking you to say a little bit about yourself, your background, how you came to faith in Christ. Well, I guess I take some pride, I think, in being the oldest man on the Sanford campus, at least that does any classroom work. Uh, I'm 73 years old. I was born in Birmingham, in 1940, grew up here, uh, went to school on the East Coast. Um, I thought I was a Christian when I went to college. I found out that probably I wasn't. Uh, came back to Birmingham and practiced law. I was married in 1965 to my wife, Fairfax. We've been married now 49 years. And I practiced law for 12 years. Uh, during that period, um, I went to church very infrequently. Uh, I would go to funerals, a few baptisms here and there, but infrequently. And interestingly enough, uh, I did not like President Richard Nixon, and um, therefore I followed uh, with some interest the whole Watergate scandal. And that got me to a book by Charles Colson called Born Again, Chuck Colson's Born Again, in which he described how he came to know the Lord when he was on his way to prison to serve a sentence for a cover-up. And I read that book because I was just interested in everything that had anything to do with Watergate. The Lord just gripped me as I was reading that book, sitting on my sofa. And um, I, I remember very vividly I said, Lord, I don't know what happened to Chuck, but let it happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> And um, not three weeks later, our youngest daughter was baptized. And in the Episcopal Church, the parents on behalf of the children answered this question. And that is, do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Savior? And when that question was asked of me that day, I just said, yes, indeed, I do for my infant daughter, but also for me. I was 37 mm. years old then. And the Lord put quite a grip on me. I, I became passionate to serve him at that point, not altogether. Uh, and, well, I did all the right things. First of all, I got into prison ministry because Chuck Colson was then head of his prison ministry, prison fellowship, and I became active in the administration of our Episcopal Church, did some Sunday school teaching, joined prayer groups, did all of that. But I knew that I did not have the grace that one who is filled with the Holy Spirit would have, the, the kindness, the gentleness was not part of my character. I was still able to be sort of gruff in and around the office, even at home. 
And a friend of mine um, led me to pray uh, for a filling of the Holy Spirit that took place about when I was 41, and I prayed that the Holy Spirit would fill me. And there was a second event in my life, uh, I think, comparable even to the first, at least in terms of the power that it had in my soul. And that just gave me an additional, an added hunger for the things of God and for serving him in his kingdom. And um, now I'm 41, 73, 32 years later, I don't think that hunger is diminished much at all. I still love Jesus Christ. Uh, I love to walk with him, talk with him, and try to serve him however he might lead me. You know, Drayton, uh, that's a wonderful story. Just think about your daughters. It's the first time I think I've ever heard infant baptism as an occasion for adult conversion. But that's a wonderful story. It was powerful. <laughs> it was powerful. And um, how I love that baptismal service out yeah. of the prayer book in the Episcopal Church. Now, I, I don't know if you'd call yourself uh, a charismatic Christian or not, but you surely exude uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. The first time I met you, I think, or came to know you years ago when I moved to Birmingham, uh, you were then the president of a very large company in the city, Protective Life. Yes. It's president and CEO of that, of that company. And uh, you didn't tell me this, but someone else told me this, that you made it a point of praying for all of the employees of that, uh, of that company. So prayer uh, has been a very much a part of your discipleship with Christ, hasn't it? Indeed. It, indeed it has been. And um, uh, I simply love prayer. And um, I figured that if I was to be Christ's own in the office that I had at Protective Life, I needed to cover that company with prayer. And I did it several ways. I would pray so much um, during the day or at the beginning of the day. I tried to pray continuously within the day. I tried to take a little time out after lunch to pray. But over the weekend, I tried to devote two hours of prayer mostly to protective life. And I had a long, long list. You said every employee. Uh, we probably had um, about a 1,000 employees. At the, I could, did not pray for a 1,000, but I prayed for hundreds by name. And uh, I prayed for them as persons. I also prayed for them as part of the team that was trying to do the Lord's work at protective. Now, I want to talk a little bit about your role as the Chief Justice of the Alabama Supreme Court. That's an elected position in Alabama. Well, actually, I was appointed. Okay. Uh, what happened is that I retired from protective uh, when I was 62 years old, and I went down to Montgomery to su serve Governor Bob Riley as his finance director. <clears throat> uh, people that know a little bit about the events of Alabama at that time. This was 2003. You may remember that Chief Justice Roy Moore was removed from office, and the governor asked me to go serve the unexpired term of, of Justice Moore for two and a half years. So I served as Chief Justice of the Alabama Supreme Court for two and a half years. What's that like? I mean, what does a Chief Justice of a state Supreme Court do? Well, the Chief Justice of the Alabama Supreme Court has divided responsibilities. First, he uh, is the administrative officer for the entire judicial system in the state of Alabama. So every county court, in effect, is sort of governed by the Chief Justice. 
and that takes a, a substantial amount of time and attention. But then he has judicial, or she has judicial duties as well, and in that he presides over the deliberations of the court. The chief justice has one vote among nine, so uh, he does not have uh, any additional authority with respect to deciding what the law might be. But in terms of scheduling conferences, determining um, how the business of the court is to be conducted, the chief does that. And now from the business and legal world, you're in kind of the academic fishbowl that is Sanford University as the director of the Francis Marlin Mann Center for Ethics and Leadership. Say a little bit about that center and what you're trying to do there. Yes. Um, first, uh, people think I've, I've suddenly become a professor. Well, <laughs> the director of the center is not a professor, though I do teaching. I, I, I do as much teaching as I'm asked to do. But I'm not formally a member of the faculty of Sanford. Uh, I've got certain passions and I've got certain a certain amount of experience that's useful in several um, of the schools here at Sanford. For instance, serving on the Supreme Court and being a lawyer allows me to help in the law school. I was in business. That helps me to serve in the business school. I have a, a real interest in inner city education. I'm chairman of a, an inner city school called Cornerstone. So I'm working in the School of Education. Yeah, just stop for a minute and tell us about Cornerstone. That's such a unique uh, educational venture. Well, Cornerstone is a wonderful school in Woodlawn, though for you not in Birmingham, Woodlawn um, is a part of the urban core in Birmingham, and it was crime-ridden and just a very, very difficult place for a number of years. Interestingly enough, a number of people have now devoted themselves to the renewal of Woodlawn, and it is changing. Um, but Cornerstone School, located first in Woodlawn, um, is for um, inner-city children, almost all of whom are poor, most of whom are African-American, and it is um, unapologetically Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, we spend um, an hour a day um, studying the Bible in every class from age four through the high school. We have a chapel service. We work very hard on Christian character. So the school, I look at the school as having a threefold mission. First is faith. Uh, we want our children to know and to love and to serve and to receive Jesus Christ uh, while they are at Cornerstone. Second is education. We want to be as fine a school as there is in the state of Alabama, bar none, and um, and we're committed to excellent education. In fact, Cornerstone is an international baccalaureate school. It is one of the few mm. urban core schools that is international baccalaureate. And the third is character. We think an education can be squandered if we don't have the virtues of a strong Christian character. So we work very hard in seeking to have our children grow into those virtues which allow one to serve Jesus Christ. I think we first came to know you as a teacher here at Beeson through our lay academy. That is correct. And you taught several times, several terms in that. And out of that came a book, maybe your first book along this line, The Case for Character. And since then, you've also written a second book, The Hidden Key to Happiness. Now, I wonder if you'd say a little more in detail what you mean when you talk about character and that other word you used a moment ago, virtue. 
What are character and virtue as you understand it? Well, that is interesting. I love to talk to groups, college-educated groups of businessmen and women, and tell them I'm about to call on somebody to define character for me, and I lose eye contact with all of them immediately. (laughs) Um, As much as we think character is important, and virtually everybody does, uh, very few people really understand what it is. And uh, interestingly, Dean, if you go to the Oxford American English Dictionary and look up the word character, the first definition is that it is an engraving, simply mm-hmm. deeply mm-hmm. impressed in us. Character is deep in our soul. And then the question is, how is character engraved in us? It's engraved in us through uh, what people in distant times past called virtue. That word is almost disappeared today. It's too bad because it's a wonderful, wonderful word. But character is engraved through virtues. The Christian virtues are humility, faith, hope, and love. There are other virtues that are very biblical that are important, such as wisdom and justice and self-control. And it is a combination of these virtues working together that develops a Christian character. Now, Christians study and debate and seek to understand how that happens. I think the Holy Spirit engraves these virtues within our soul as we continuously practice love and faith and courage and self-control and these virtues. And so as we practice them, they become engraved in us and they become strengths so that naturally we do those things that would please God in serving him. I would say that character is a bundle of virtues. I need to throw in one other word, and that is the, well, and I will define virtue for us. A virtue is a strength within us, engraved in us by the Holy Spirit, which empowers us to live well into the purposes of our life. For a Christian, that's to glorify God. A vice is exactly the opposite. It is a strength engraved in us, which prevents us from serving well into the purposes for which God created us. Our characters are a bundle of virtues and vices. And the Christian life is, as Paul would say, putting on the virtues and taking off the vices. Now, Paul uses the language of the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the works of the flesh. Is that the same as virtue and vices in your view? Yes. If you go to the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control, each of those is virtue. Each of those is a strength, and those strengths are engraved in us by the Holy Spirit. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit doesn't work apart from what we do from day to day. So we will not be patient people simply by sitting in a prayer closet and praying for patience. We need to practice patience. Mm. And the Holy Spirit works through that practice to engrave in our souls the virtue of patience. You know, in um, well, in, in the history of, of Christian ethical thinking, uh, this thing of character formation, virtue, uh, has often been described in terms of a habit, something that you put on that shapes you interiorly. And uh, that's what you're talking about when you're talking about being formed in the virtues, isn't it? Absolutely. I did not use the word habit, and I didn't use it intentionally because in some Christian circles it can become controversial. I don't fully understand it, but I think the moral life has to be understood in terms, 
at least partially in terms of good and bad habits. I'm not going to tell this audience what, audience what my bad habits are, <laughs> but I've got them. Maybe and your the, wife knows. <laughs> and the, you bet she knows. <laughs> and they're engraved deeply in me. And one engraved deeply in me probably by the time I was 10 or 12 years old, and I yeah. still struggle with yeah. them now, 60 years later. Yeah. I like the fact that in your writings and in your teaching about this, you, you do emphasize, I think, very clearly uh, that the cultivation of these virtues in no way mitigates our reliance on God's grace. God is the founder and the finisher of everything that is in our soul, including our virtues. But we do cooperate with God. Yeah. And by practicing the teachings of Jesus, Jesus finishes his Sermon on Mountains and says, put these teachings into practice and you will build your house um, on a firm foundation. We need to practice the teachings, and the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. works with us as we practice those teachings to make these habits or engravings in our soul. You know, here at Beeson this fall, we're studying the book of James, and that sounds to me a lot like what you're talking about. James, the, the idea is that grace is everything, but grace works through, in James, as James would say, through what we do. We need to complete our faith in our practice. Yes, and that is what we're talking about. I particularly like um, the teaching of Peter in Second Peter chapter 1, and he says, add to your, uh, really, to, to the, um, our godly nature that he is talking about in the first two or three verses, um, virtue. And he says these virtues need to continue to grow in you. And it was very important to Peter that he get that point across to his beloved because he says, please don't forget this. I'm going to die soon enough. Please don't forget this. So I think Peter was right on at least the major theme in my book, The Case for Character, in uh, chapter one of his second letter. I want to come back to the Man Center where you're the director, the Man Center for Ethics and Leadership, what the Man Center is, what you're hoping to do with it, any plans you have for the future. I was practicing law, but um, I was not fully engaged in it as I would have been 30 years ago. And Dr. Westmoreland called me up and told me that this man position was was open. And I went to um, the website of Sanford. And what I really loved is the fellows program, sort of the honors program they have here. And the second value of the honors program is the virtues. I said, wow. Um, this school is for me because that is my passion to to talk as much as I can about the importance of the virtues in a life that honors God. And so um, I said, Dr. Westmoreland, I'll take it if you'll give it to me. And he says, I'll give it to you. And so, um, but there were not any any clear parameters in what I was to do. I was to get at the man center and teach ethics and leadership. And we do that in a number of, of ways. For instance, we're working with the School of Education to develop a program to teach Christian character in schools. Uh, we're going to have a group of students, 12 or 14, that will fly to Rwanda in January mm-hmm. and learn how um, Christian entrepreneurship can provide jobs and opportunities for very poor people in Africa. I'm teaching um, a little seminar um, this this semester on the least of these. Jesus is teaching that we are to um, 
reach out to the poor, the naked. Um, there's another seminar being taught by the Man Center on the whole on the subject of calling. Mm. So we're just doing a number of things next semester, and I, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm going to teach a four-hour course on the virtues. And I just can't wait to get into that. Now, my students can wait for me to get into it. We'll see. Um, but this is my passion, Dean, is uh, teaching character, teaching virtue, because I, it's, it's, one, very important. But the reason it's such a passion is I think we've lost it. I think we do not know what the word virtue means. We do not know what the word character means. And we don't understand that democracy if we're to live in freedom, we need to be strong within so we don't have a bunch of laws to control us from without. Mm -hmm. um, so we can't be free politically. We can't uh, be free in terms of the marketplace without strong character. And we certainly can't be free spiritually without strong character. Satan will step in and will take that freedom away from us. Mm -hmm. I'm preaching now, Honor. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> you, you can add that to your list of uh, professions you've done so well at. <laughs> Well, it's been such a joy talking with you today. Thank, thank you for not only talking about character and virtue, but for uh, exhibiting it in your life. You do that. I mean that sincerely. And we're so delighted to have you a part of our Beeson family, a member of our advisory board, but far more than as a friend and co-laborer in the work of God. Thank you, Drayton. Well, thank you, Dean. And I love the Beeson Divinity School, and I, I can't tell you how pleased I am with how this school has grown and developed such enormous stature, worldwide stature, mm. throughout the Christian world under your leadership. You've done a grand job. Thank you. My guest today on the Beeson Podcast has been Justice Drayton Neighbors, Jr. He's the director of the Mann Center for Ethics and Leadership at Sanford University. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast. <laughs>